So here's the question. In the print and packaging supply chain, how do we deliver new ideas and innovative practices to continually improve your profit, your brand, and your quality? Welcome to the Gamut Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Collins, Director of Print Technologies for ID Alliance. We are a nonprofit global think tank serving the graphic communications industry with 12 offices strategically located around the world to better support our membership. You can support the Gamut Podcast and content like this by becoming a member at ID Alliance by going to www.idalliance.org. Today's episode is sponsored by Kodak. Kodak is a global technology company focused on print and advanced materials and chemicals. They provide industry-leading hardware, software, consumables, and services primarily to customers in commercial print, packaging, publishing, manufacturing, and entertainment. On today's Gamut Podcast, we're speaking with Jay Kelbley. He is the I1 Product Manager for X-Rite Pantone, and Jay will discuss the growth in new printing materials like textiles and the new family of iPro3 products designed to support them. Jay holds a master's degree in fine arts from Rochester Institute of Technology, and before joining X-Rite, Jay has worked with many large OEMs like Kodak, Sony, and Samsung on solutions for color, printing, and camera systems. X-Rite Incorporated is a global leader in the science and technology of color and appearance. With Pantone, X-Rate employs more than 800 people in 11 different countries, and X-Rate offers a full range of solutions used by manufacturers, retailers, printers, photographers, and graphic design houses, as well as brands to achieve precise management and communication of color and appearance throughout their processes. Jay, good morning. Great to have you on and looking forward to our discussion today. How are you? Thanks. Thanks for letting me let me be on. Glad to have you on, Jay. And to get started, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you became involved in this side of the industry? Sure. Well, I, I started out as a as a photographer, and while I was getting a, a master's in photography, I, I started working for Kodak. Um, mm-hmm. So I was actually based in Rochester, New York. Okay. So I worked. I worked on a variety of things, uh, dye sublimation printers, the first professional digital cameras and film scanners that came out, and then eventually ended up at a Kodak spinoff that was doing um, super high-end industrial cameras and medical cameras and things like that. So we did a lot of optics design work and camera design work. I um, see. And you've worked for some pretty large OEMs like Samsung and Sony as well in a similar area as a uh, product manager and marketing manager. And now with X-Rite, how does that experience working with uh, photography and camera systems uh, correlate over to spectrophotometry and the devices that you now support? Oh, good question. Well, uh, really, spectrophotometers um, are... Measure, light measuring devices a lot like like cameras. Um, the difference really is the, the number of, of pixels in the device and, and in some cases the accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the spectrophotometers do a much better job in dividing up color and, and giving you much more precise measurement of color. Whereas a camera typically has uh, three color sensors like a colorimeter for RGB. A spectrophotometer um, uh, splits up the, the all the light into wavelengths, usually in 10 nanometer increments. So giving you um, 20 or 30 or more 
um, uh, measurement points for, for measuring the color. But a lot of the problems are similar in terms of filtration and um, mm-hmm. how you measure the light and the technical aspects of the sensors that are in there and gain and, and managing heat and things like that. Absolutely. In the area of uh, spectrophotometry and uh, colorimeters and tools to handle process control and to handle color management, we've come quite a long way as far as uh, technology advancement. And the same thing is true for the printing industry. We have amazing new technology that can print on just about anything. We look at uh, inkjet and uh, inkjet to textile, direct to corrugated and a variety of different new materials. And that obviously presents challenges and uh, new solutions to be able to maintain and uh, really control uh, consistency in color, similar to the way that we've been able to do it with just simple ink on paper. Yeah. And, and, Virtually all of the, the color management for printing over the last decades has been focused on either toner on paper or ink on paper. And there hasn't been a lot of uh, work in solving for all these new materials that have popped up and these new um, printing processes that have popped up. I mean, um, solvent-based printers, um, uh, latex printers, all the new dye sub printers that are out there. Dye sub, yeah. And printing on, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and printing on metal and glass and all these crazy new substrates. And so people a lot of times have, have applied the color management tools and, and workflows that they had for paper um, to, to, to these new substrates and had some levels of success and, and failure because um, they're, they're solving new problems, right? With, mm-hmm. with textiles, there's, there's all these new, there's a whole variety of, of uh, textile substrates with, you know, first polyesters are rolling out and then, you know, canvas and textured fabrics. And now there's a lot of printing on, on natural fibers, silks and cottons and, and wool. Um, and, and each one of those uh, creates different, different challenges, right? The, the, the frequency of the weave or the texture uh, of the weave um, uh, is a challenge to measure if you're using a, um, a traditional print, measurement device because the aperture is so small, it won't give you a good average measurement. Um, right. If you're scanning, if you're scanning across text, uh, textiles, you know, how do you, how do you hold them down? Right. And, mm-hmm. and how do you uh, manage uh, contamination? Right. Things like natural cotton have a lot of uh, loose material that comes off uh, that, that can change the measurement and potentially can force you to clean your device a lot more frequently than you would with paper or something else. So, so there's a lot of a lot of new people, a lot of new things people are trying to solve for there. And on that note, Jay, what are some of the features or improvements to the technology that can overcome some of the challenges that we just mentioned when we're talking about rough textiles or metallics or shiny surfaces like glass? Sure, we did a couple of things. Um, one of the big new uh, improvements in the i1 Pro 3s, the whole family, is the the uh, addition or change to a, a, an, uh, an LED light source, a full spectrum LED light mm-hmm. source. By doing that, removing the tungsten bulb and the, L, and the UV LEDs that were in there, we can get the single pass scanning. So you get uh, M0, M1, M2 all in one pass without having to go back and do a pass for visible and then a pass for, for UV. So that makes it easier for material hold down, it cuts your scan times in half because you only have to do half right. as much scanning. Um, so that's a, that's a, a big piece that we, 
we added with those as well. Um, we improve, we, we doubled the scan rate or the sampling rate of the devices. So as you're scanning across, whether it's paper, textile, whatever, the I1s are actually measuring at 200 Hertz or 200 uh, measurements uh, per second. Okay. And, and they're averaging those. And the more of those samples you get on one patch and the more you average them, the, the more, the better, uh, the more accurate measurement you're going to get. So we doubled the, the, the scan rate to 400 Hertz. So now you can either, um, scan at the same rate you did before and get twice as many samples off a patch automatically or, um, scan faster. Right. And, right. and that's another workflow and speed improvement <clears throat> with the I one pro threes. Um, we, we really wanted to, to target the growth in the market, which is in these, all these new materials and new material printers that are out there. So we created a new whole new version of the I one pro three called the I one pro three plus. And it has a much larger aperture. So it has an eight millimeter aperture instead of a four and a half millimeter aperture that the original I one pro had. Okay. And the, the advantage of the bigger aperture is it, it, it works better on, uh, uh, non-standard surfaces like textiles, like, uh, ceramics and corrugated. Um, it works better with low resolution prints, um, like you, you use with grand format, right? right so it can, right. can get, give you better homogeneity or better averaging across those in a much more accurate measurement. And another improvement is a very interesting, uh, area of, uh, graphic arts and that's, uh, displays, large format displays. These are very bright displays that you see in stores or retail environments. And traditionally, there were some challenges and limitations to uh, profiling or measuring those type of uh, uh, conditions. Yeah, there's a lot of work in, in the display market now with LFDs, they call them large format displays. So those displays that they have at McDonald's or a fast food restaurant, mm-hmm. um, that are that are bright in daylight those will go up to seven thousand eight thousand nits or candela per square meter um super crazy bright and there really weren't solutions out there to calibrate those so we enabled the new i1 family to go up to five thousand nits which is which is uh much brighter than you'll see on a desktop display monitor display monitors that are out there today on a desktop computer go up to very rarely but go up to a thousand or twelve hundred nits uh, emissive displays like like a monitor um, are a different kind of market and problem than than emissive or transmissive uh, backlit materials, which which are exploding in the market as well. So um, you see that with backlit fabrics. If you go to a trade show, yeah. you'll see yeah everything's backlit fabrics now, and a lot of those are done on sublimation printers and some on solvent printers. Um, but we've enabled the new Y1 Pro 3 Plus to to do uh, emissive or transmissive. Uh, profiling. So you can, you can take your I1 Pro 3 and hand scan just like you would on paper, but do it on a light box with either backlit film or, mm-hmm. or a backlit fabric and build the same quality of profiles you'd be building uh, with, with a reflective uh, print. Who are some of the uh, partners that you work with to integrate the iPro 3 into color management workflows, DFEs, or uh, standalone applications? So the, the big hitters like EFI, Caldera, um, uh, you know, have been working with the SDK for quite a while. ErgoSoft, uh, Fujifilm's new color pa- or color path, uh, sync, mm-hmm. um, are all, uh, 
have versions that are up and running and working with the iWin Pro 3 and iWin Pro 3 Plus. But if you if you want to make sure before you buy, check check with your front end uh, manufacturer. But we are working with um, everybody on on front end support and uh, uh, most of them have been integrated already. For print service providers and color management workflows, color reproduction uh, throughout the supply chain from the beginning to the end that we may have people uh, that are managing the brand that are using instruments. And of course, we have may have a variety of different instruments uh, within a particular production facility. And it's important that these instruments are uh, accurate to one another, what we call inter-instrument agreement. And of course, that they're repeatable so that we're not introducing variability or variation uh, through the instrument. And uh, can you talk to us about uh, improvements in this area? Is there an improvement in inter-instrument agreement and repeatability with the new iPro3 family? So in general, we've we've really we've doubled the uh, uh, inner instrument agreement uh, or tightened it by by a factor of two. Um, same with repeatability. Repeatability um, in our in our testings, uh, 0.05 delta E uh, on on the i1 Pro three, which is which is pretty pretty dang good. Um, inner instrument agreement is is improved from. Uh, uh, an average of 0.4 on the i1 Pro 2 to an average of 0.3 Delta E's on i1 Pro 3. So we made a, a significant amount of improvement. A lot of that comes from the new optical design. Some of that comes from as well, the new uh, uh, LED cocktail design that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's better by taking out the, the tungsten bulb that was in there. We get a much better thermal management of the device. So there's less heat. As it, as it heats up and lights up than there would than there than there was before uh, as well uh, the there's there's less things over the life of the device like the carbon uh, tungsten burn down you'd get with a filament based light source that you don't have with LEDs so there's a lot of a lot of that's attributable to the the new LED light source in there yeah. Often we take the word or the activity maintenance when it comes to spectrophotometers and these devices for granted. You know, if I'm a photographer, I'm always cleaning my lens and I'm checking and, you know, I have the capability to to make sure that I don't have a problem in that area before I shoot. And on the spectrophotometers, I walk into uh, production environments with offset spray powder all over the place and uh, it's all over the instrument. I'm, you know, don't have the confidence that I would normally have, have it was kept in a box and kept very clean. So uh, are there any advantages with the iPro three in the area of maintenance? Yeah, I, the, the, that was a pain point we targeted with of the i1 pro two to the i1 pro three. So you can open it and check it really easily. You just twist the, 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 the snout or the tubus, we call it off. Um, there's a big locking icons on there for it. And you'll see a big, uh, a big glass filter in there. And if it's, if it's dirty, then, you know, clean it off. Uh, we recommend, uh, um, not necessarily canned air for optical devices, but, but still air pressure. So if you'd use a, like a hurricane blower, like you'd a squeeze bulb blower, mm-hmm. like you'd use for a lens, something like yeah. that. And if you clean with that, that's great. Sometimes canned air is a little aggressive and abrasive, um, but sometimes that's what you need to use. Otherwise, um, uh, 
a, a high quality alcohol pad if you need to contact clean that filter like uh, like zeiss wipes or something like that as well but it's really simple to clean these um, really easy compared to uh, previous generations when we look at measuring lots of patches uh, obviously a handheld device that's very time consuming so we look to solutions that are more automated like the uh, isis excel and the io table and in particular the io table very effective because i can uh, use the instrument as a handheld so i have my ipro 2 or my ipro 3 now and then when i want to uh, automate uh, measuring large charts uh, for profiling or those type of quality, uh, assurance activities. I'm, um, sometimes I have, you know, we struggle with, uh, materials that aren't rigid. So they're flexible. And then of course I lay them down flat on that IO table and I have to make sure it's perfectly in alignment and there's no distortion or I'll, uh, incur errors when I'm, uh, reading that automatically with the IO table. Are there any improvements or any suggestions, advice that you can give us when we're using, let's say, the IO table and the iPro 3 uh, for something like uh, textiles? Um, with the IO specifically, we haven't changed the the baseboard of the IO at all. It's still uh, a static charged mat that, that locks down most materials pretty well. Mm-hmm. If you have a material that doesn't uh, doesn't stick to the static mat or it's uh, for whatever reason, you know, we, we still recommend tape and taping them down. Um, for textiles, I've been experimenting a lot and doing measurements with, with just T-shirt frames out of, out of different printer models that will stretch the fabrics. Um, one of the big improvements we made for the I.O. is we created a, a spacer for the arm so that you can get another 23 millimeters of height I see. Um, out of the I.O. And that will let you put in stretch frames or um, if you want to um, – if you have a problematic material, you can uh, adhere it to a board or a foam core or some some uh, secondary substrate. And this spacer gives you enough room to put a thicker material in a frame and whatever mounting option you want in there, even a light box. And you guys also ship the uh, device with a kit that comes with a uh, backboard with magnetic strips. Tell me what the use case for that is. Sure. So with the plus, with the large aperture device, um, we, we expect a lot of customers to be using it with, with larger, um, material samples. And so the, the white backer board, um, is, is a little bit more than double the width of the existing I one pro backer board that everybody's used to, but to hold down materials like, like fabrics or even thin films, we put magnets in the backer board and we have steel guides that, that will hold the material down for hand scanning. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty, uh, ingenious setup. Jay, you mentioned earlier the improvement with the iPro three family that we no longer need to do two passes or two scans, uh, for a particular measurement mode. So if we look at our measurement modes, like M one, M zero, uh, M two, and now we have with this new instrument, uh, M three measurement, which, uh, is a polarization, uh, filter, correct? Talk to us about the advantages and applications of using a polarization, a polarization filter or M3 measurement mode. Yeah, I'm, I, we're really excited about the applications that are popping up for M3. Um, the, the more people use it, the more um, 
the more excited they get about it. There really hasn't been polarization on devices in this price class as, mm-hmm. as far back as I can remember. And we haven't done much with polarization um, uh, since the, the Spectralinos, much new with it. Um, but uh, the applications where people are seeing great value in it are beyond where they did before. A lot of people use polarization to look at ink dryback right. um, and, and printing. But with this, uh, the guys who are finding a lot of value are photographers, right? If you have a, a super glossy uh, material paper, like an F-surface photo paper, and you get, uh, you'll get reflections in the shadows, um, uh, you get speculars in the blacks where, where you, know, you shouldn't from a color standpoint, but that's just the nature of the way these things work. This will knock them down and give you much tighter, much tighter gamut in your profiles. Makes a huge difference in shadow detail, glossy materials for textiles. Um, makes a huge uh, improvement for textiles like silks and polyesters in the highlights where mm-hmm. the, where you get speculars off the weave. Right. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of people trying this in areas that that even we hadn't expected in finding value in M3. Very interesting. And you've also added a security feature to the new device. Tell us about that. So we put a Kensington lock port on it. It may seem a little trivial, but in an operation where your device is really assigned to a printer or a workflow, you don't want your device going off to the office. You can actually lock it to a table and still have it usable. So it doesn't walk away. So there's a there's a lot of little improvements in yeah. this in the whole system here. Like to go with the Kensington lock port on the calibration plaque. When you slide open the calibration plaque, there's two holes for drywall screws. So if you want to lock the calibration plaque down to a table, we we put screw holes in for it too. Because that came back from people uh, a lot of times that you know someone would take their device, they'd bring it back, and they'd lose the plaque. Yeah. Um, yeah. So exactly. we we bid a lot of little improvements like that that really should help people uh, in, in, in small but important ways. When we look at uh, recertifying devices, uh, these are critical instruments uh, for our um, value that we provide to our, our customers and we ensure consistency and quality. And typically we uh, will audit uh, facilities, whether we're doing a brand Q audit or we're doing a, uh, a pre-site check uh, prior to a G7 master qualification, as well as ISO activities, ISO 9001 and things like that. And we need to have a certificate of analysis and uh, uh, certified documentation showing that the instrument is checked and it's uh, uh, done routinely. Um, same process with uh, sending the instrument back to X-Rite to have it recertified. We officially we recommend the recertification of, of every critical color device at least one, or once a year. Um, with the I ones, historically they've been so stable that you know I think it most, with most customers if they go two years before a recert, um, they're probably going to stay in very consistent good shape. We 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 now do recertification of the I one Pro threes regionally um, before if you wanted your same device back. Uh, we'd have to go all the way back to the factory. So if you're in the U.S. and you want to get it recertified, it would come to our, our headquarters in Michigan and get recertified. If you're in Europe, it would go to our, our European headquarters in, uh, in Switzerland and get, get recertified, which is, which is kind of cool. So it's a sh- much shorter, easier process for recertification now. 
I'm glad to hear that the process of recertification has been improved. Um, it's typically a pain point whenever we walk in to do an assessment or an audit and we find instruments that have not been recertified for many years. And to close the podcast out, if I'm a current user of some of the older models like the iPro 2 or the iPro 1, is there any incentives or uh, any trade-in programs that are in place to upgrade to the new solution, the iPro 3? Sure. Yeah. In most, in most of the world, um, we have a trade-in program running. So for us and Europe and, uh, you, you would buy your new I one pro three and then, uh, fill out the paperwork and, uh, send in your, your original I one or I one pro two. And we give you a, a rebate back after the purchase. Same, same with the IO. Um, and that's very simply up at x Excellent conversation, Jay. I really appreciate your time. And again, for our listeners, if you're interested in trading in your uh, older i1 Pros or your iPro 2, uh, just go to xrightradin.com. Jay, thanks so much again, and uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Take care. Thanks, Jeff. This has been really, really great, and uh, it's, it's been fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Gamut Podcast. If you have ideas, suggestions, or would like to join us or even sponsor future podcasts, simply email me at jcollins at idealliance.org. That's J-C-O-L-L-I-N-S at idealliance.org. Take care and have a productive day.